0: Welcome to the 20th episode of the Red Sox Unfiltered Podcast. I am your host, Patrick Green. We got the big 2-0 episode in the building, which uh, I can't believe we made it to 20. I'm very happy and very proud of everyone who has made this podcast, uh, you know, a thing. Um, joining me as always, who's been there since day one, we got Dave Latham of Red Dave, say hi to everyone.
1: How's it going, everybody? Glad to make it to number 20.
0: The big 2-0. And then also in the building, we got Chris Rosine, did I say your last name right? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Chris, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit because this is your first time on the podcast. So, would you mind telling the listeners about you? Uh,
2: I mean, there, there's, there's not much to know. Uh, my name's Chris, obviously. Um, I'm contributing right to Red Sox Unfiltered. Uh, yeah. Other than that, um, obviously, I'm a Red Sox fan. Which
0: and i
2: but Dad the two and
0: uh, I do a whole bunch of other stuff too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, our usual co host or Jordan Dako, um his leaving us for greener pastures um we're going to miss him but we're going to be filling in with uh some of the red sox unfiltered writers for the time being and maybe get some guests in the future so chris will be the first one and hopefully we're going to get him on here soon again but yeah chris is very decorated he's a very good writer check him out on RedSoxUnfiltered.com. um but yeah so we're going to actually just dive into this thing real quick um the red sox had a week um obviously they had a week everyone had a week but uh yeah, so they started off against the Philadelphia Phillies and we're we're just going to go through that briefly cuz there were some like interesting things that came out of that week. Um Nathan Avoldi. So I actually went to the game Wednesday night. I had a road trip uh before I went back to college. It was a lot of fun and it culminated watching the Phillies and Red Sox. And like the I've been to two Red Sox games this year. And they've lost both of them. For a team with a 700 winning percentage, like the probability of going to two Red Sox losses this year, extremely low. But um, I'm the bad luck charm. And uh, yeah, so I, I saw Nathan Evoldi pitch, and I was super excited because I've been on the Evoldi bandwagon since day one. Um, and the Phillies, like he, he only ended up giving one earned run, but there were some really loud outs. A lot of loud outs. Um he gave up three total runs. He had se got shelled for seven hits in five innings of work. He had a five to zero strikeout to walk, so that was pretty good. And he still has the lowest walks per nine. But last start against the Orioles got absolutely rocked. We talked about it on last week's episode. But, you know, that's two kind of mass starts after, you know, he came out just firing on all cylinders. So I want to talk. I want to ask you, Dave, first, if, if your opinion of Nathan Evaldi is changing, and if his first two starts were a mirage.
1: Um, mirage is a strong word, but I think we all saw the fifteen shutout innings, and we all got our hopes maybe a little too high that you know something like that was what we what we were expecting. Like we traded Jalen Beeks, and we got a third ace, but that's really not what Evaldi is. Um, when his cutter's working it's um he's a really really fantastic pitcher but it's such a finicky pitch that he doesn't always have it working as great as he did those first two starts and the rest of his pitches aren't good enough on their own for him to still be a great pitcher without that cutter he still has fantastic command he's never going to walk a lot of guys but i think he's a lot closer maybe not to like five innings of one run ball with a lot of loud outs like he was against philadelphia but I think he's a guy that you know. You can, you know um, he's probably going to give you about six innings, about three earned runs, and that's really all you can expect out of the number four guy in the rotation. So I think that's more along the lines of what you're going to get moving forward.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think it was a mirage per se. I mean, the man still has the lowest walks per nine um, in the league, which is super impressive. He, uh, I'm, I'm among pitchers with the like 80 qualified innings, but. I think I kind of personally like I don't know about Red Sox Nation I don't represent Red Sox Nation but I kind of jumped the gun on this Eavoldi thing I thought he was a fantastic pitcher before still think he's a very good pitcher and the implementation of the cutter which he did not have in 2016 he's throwing it about 30% of the time has been huge for him this season and it's been a reason that I thought he could transcend what he's been in the past Uh, he ditched the curveball he ditched the slider he's not going to them as much he didn't completely ditch them but he's reducing his usage of those and the cutters Kind of easier to command. I know he's had some problems commanding it, but it's easier to command than a breaking ball, probably. Um, but yeah, Nate Devolli, I think, is the guy we traded for a four or five starter, a depth starter. I don't think he's an ace. I think he's a very good pitcher, but I think I I definitely jumped the gun. Uh, what about you, Chris? What are your thoughts on Nate Devolli? I think uh, he's
2: exactly exactly what Dombrowski was looking for. Um, it's kind of like one of those things where I feel like fans wanted another ace or another bullpen guy, but what, what he does give you is a is a is a guy that can slot in as the fourth guy if they need one in the playoffs or he could even go to the bullpen considering, you know, the stuff that he has. Yeah. Um so I think I think that's really what the Braves he was looking for. He's looking for like under the radar kind of stuff. Um and that's kind
0: of what he's gonna give you yeah definitely i think you've got that underrated stuff and again you brought up a good point that he could be shifted into the bullpen come playoff time and that's going to be extremely valuable and maybe we'll see erod there maybe we'll see Stephen right there um if all health is uh in order but we'll see how that goes as the year goes on so drew Pomeranz, he also pitched in this game and uh he was he he was bad um it was a close game until he came in and he won innings three and runs for hits. So his fast fall velocity remains down nearly 2.5 miles per hour from last year. 91.3 miles per hour in 2017 to 88.8 this year. That is a precipitous decline. The Southpaw's curveball usage is aligned with his usual self, but the pitch has a negative 11.9 pitch value this season. It was at 7.0 last year. These are linear weights, by the way. Um, so I want to ask you, Dave, uh, should Drew Pomeranz be in a Red Sox uniform still?
1: Um, he should not be in a uniform over Brandon Workman when they sent him down. That was pretty ridiculous. I don't really think he has a role on this team moving forward. Um, I get you don't want to get rid of him because we're almost in September and you can expand the roster to 40. So you don't want to cut a guy like and lose a possible depth piece, especially one with a ceiling that's pretty high, like Pomerantz's. But at the same point, like 2017 Pomerantz isn't in there anymore. If he, I'm not sure if it's the release point thing he was talking about, or if just, you know, at the beginning of the season, you remember his first spring spring training start, he uh, injured his forearm and he never really had his velocity back. So he might not have ever fully recovered from whatever that was, whatever it is, it's just the point is, Drew Pomerantz is not a good pitcher this year. And I really don't think the Red Sox should count on him to be anything. And, you know, I don't. I don't want to see him like pitching in any more important situations. Nothing other than mop up duty for Palm, and like really, you can get rid of him and nobody would shed to tear.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about Ian Kinsler in a minute. But when Ian Kinsler was activated off the 10-day disabled list, um, um, they there were thoughts that Pomeranz might have gotten the boot. They thought that Velasquez might have gotten been sent down to AAA until September, and then they thought that uh, Rafael Devers actually ultimately went on the DL, but. Pomeranz is a big candidate to uh, be demoted there or not, or DFA'd or whatever. Um, what about you, Chris? What are your thoughts on Drew Pomeranz and if he should still be in a Red Sox uniform?
2: The thing that bugs me the most is that they can get rid of Henry Ramirez for a, what was like an O for 21 slump, but they can't get rid of this guy. <laughs> <laughs> this, this guy over here, um, I just pulled up his stats because I haven't looked at them in a while. I'm, I'm, it's, it's it's mystifying as to why he's still pitching um he's actually he, he's walking two more guys per nine innings and he's striking out two guys less per nine innings um and that's not what you want it might be the mechanics like you said uh but i'm i'm done with your pomeranz. i don't i don't want to see him anymore he can he can ride off into the sunset or <laughs> Uh, spontaneously combust whatever he wants to do.
0: I'm good with it. I think you share a lot of the sentiments most Red Sox fans feel about Drew Pomeranz. He's not winning anybody over this year. It's just, it's just, they thought, I thought his stuff would play off. And I get it. It's been three appearances. I don't know if he appeared today. I didn't catch the game. But uh, he's had three appearances, at least before today, in the bullpen. And uh, it's not, it's not been great. But it's not been. I thought his stuff would play up ultimately, and that has not happened. I thought he would gain, regain velocity on his fastball. Has not happened. Thought his curveball would be more deceptive. Maybe get a little more sharp bite. Has not happened. Drew Pomeranz. I don't know what's going on with you, but um, he had a really good 2017. Uh, so w- we appreciate that. But 2018 is just hell. So he also just he, he just looks like he doesn't care.
2: Like, you watch him on the TV, and you're like, this guy, he just looks like he, he's like, I'd rather be anywhere else than standing on the yeah. ground floor, <laughs> which is just ridiculous.
0: He's got yeah, I'm not
1: sure if it's, yeah, I'm not sure if it's there, if he just has, like, resting bitch face or something, because he kind of, like, he looks like that constantly, like, everywhere he's ever been in his entire life, so I think
2: that's just his face.
0: <laughs> that's what I was just going to say. I think he just <laughs> has resting bee face.
2: Yeah, he, he, just doesn't, he just doesn't want to be on like the planet that he's just mad about it all the time. Yeah, hard.
0: he just seems pissed off about everything. When the Red Sox are like on pace or close to getting the win record, Drew Pomeranz is just in a constant state of pissed off. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, Drew Pomeranz, uh, it's been nice knowing you, and I guess we'll get to know you for down the stretch because it doesn't seem like he's going anywhere. But uh, Ian Kinsler, he was activated off the 10-day disabled list earlier this week, and Raphael Devers was put on the disabled list list. This was, this was interesting because I think a lot of people thought that Hector Velasquez was going to be the one to go or they were going to do something like a phantom disabled list stint. And I don't know if this is a phantom DL stint, to be fair. It seems like convenient timing. Dave, what were your thoughts on Devers being put on the DL?
1: Yeah, I'm surprised he was the move you make there. Um, I sort of get it. You're getting an infielder back. It makes sense to take one off instead of, taking out one of the better bullpen arms and, well, not better, but one of the good good bullpen arms and Hector Velasquez and sending him down. So it makes sense from that logic. And Devers has had a nagging hamstring injury. He was in a bit of a slump before uh, going on the DL, so maybe he's not not 100%. He needs some time to just kind of chill off and get better. But at the same point, you know, not to keep harping on Drew Pomerantz, but come on, Rafael Devers helps this team a lot more than uh, Drew Pomerantz does. I get that uh, with Kinsler back, Nunez gets to slide in a third base, which is where he's more comfortable. And I get that Nunez has been playing a lot better lately. I actually wrote an article about it. But Nunez is one of those guys where less is more with him. He works a lot better as a platoon than he does an everyday guy. So if you wanted to use like N- Nunez endeavors on a platoon, I'd be all for that. Um, I'm... Like I'm kind of I'm still on the Devers train as hard as I've ever been on, but I can acknowledge this point of the season. It's probably best to keep uh, those two rotated, and yeah. you know rotate Kinsler out there too because you don't want him to, he, you don't want him getting hurt again. But as long as Kinsler's healthy, he should be your everyday second baseman. Put Brock Holt in there to give him some rest, and then at third base, just rotate Nunez and Devers is what I would have done. But it seems like we're content to just let Nunez be the third baseman, like until until September when I imagine they'll activate Devers because 40-man roster, you don't have to make decisions anymore about uh, players. So
0: That's going to be convenient when Christian Vasquez comes back, Devers comes back. It's all leading up to the September call-ups. Um, I've always thought September call-ups were a little odd because, yeah, I mean, why expand the rosters in the last month of the season when it's like the most crucial time and you played with 25-man the whole whole year and then you just change the rules. Kind of, kind of weird to me. It's not like it's even like two roster spots. It's like a whole fifteen. I don't even think a lot of teams get to it. Anyway, that's just a personal thing. I don't, I don't know if it's like founded in any substantial, um, profound uh, logic. But Chris, what about you? What were your thoughts on Raphael Devers hitting the disabled list?
2: I thought it was, I and mean, it makes sense from the fact that you know, hamstrings can become agitated or whatever. And they're usually reoccurring. It's usually not just the guy gets a hamstring injury. He usually goes on a disabled those a couple times um, before it finally kind of fixes itself. Um, there's tricky things to judge, so I wasn't really too mad about it. I mean, he hasn't. His his defense obviously hasn't been there. Uh, the bat hasn't been great. It's been okay, um, but it, I, I wasn't too too upset by it. I, I just feel like that there is. And I felt like this since the beginning of the year that there's too much redundancy on the roster. Like, when you really look at Eduardo Nunez and Brock Holt, they're pretty much the same guy. They're both versatile um, and and versatile infielders. I mean, Brock Holt doesn't get used in the outfield pretty much ever. Um, So why are we holding on to those two um, when you could have moved one or something like that? But obviously that's more of a different story.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so good thoughts on Raphael Devers and Ian Kinsler. Um, I still am, I just, I can never tell when these things, if they actually have substance to them or if they're just trying to, you know, maneuver that kind of roster spot in there. I think it's the latter, but it could be the former. I don't know. Devers, uh, Devers seemed genuinely upset about this injury, according to reports. So let's segue into the actual breakdown of the series that just happened. The Boston Red Sox took on the Tampa Bay Rays, who were coming off of a series victory against the New York Yankees. Thank you for that, Tampa Bay. So they showed up to Boston. And the first two games were awesome. We'll go through Friday first. Brian Johnson struggled early in that game. He pitched, uh, but he bounced back. Like he looked crap. People were crapping on him on Twitter. And then he bounced back for five and two thirds innings of three earned run baseball. He had two strikeouts, two walks. He didn't light the world on fire or anything, but he showed perseverance. He worked through his stuff. Um, I just wanted to like, Set, um, have a quick note on Brian Johnson's curveball usage this year. Doesn't really mean anything in terms of the game, but he's used it close to 30 percent of the time this year. So that's a obviously a pretty good chunk, especially for a breaking ball. Hitters, opposing hitters, have only batted 225 off of it with a 331 slug. Uh, it's got good vertical move it movement on it, according to Brooks Baseball. It's sharper than the average curveball. So Brian Johnson's been riding that Uncle Charlie, and it's worked out well for him this year. Um, and I think he's actually ramped up his usage from 2017, so that's good. And I think that has been instrumental to Brian Johnson's success. Doesn't really matter, doesn't really pertain to what we're talking about. So, Dave, what were your thoughts on Brian Johnson's start on Friday?
1: Yeah, Johnson's actually one of my favorite guys to watch pitch. And it's just because of the type of guy he is, because none of his stuff is really that great. He doesn't have any electric offerings. His fastball is not that fast. None of his pitches have that much movement to him, but he's just a guy where... He just wins by knowing how to pitch, how to get guys out, knowing exactly what he's capable of doing and what he's not. He maximizes like every single ounce of skill he has, which admittedly isn't that much, and he's still able to be a really good number 5 starter. I mean, just about any rotation in the league would have him in the starting rotation, the way he's performing right now. And a lot of guys are more talented than him, so I really enjoy watching players like that. You know, it's a blast to watch Chris Sale you know, do Chris Sale things, but to me, it's also just as fun to watch a guy like Brian Johnson pitch and just like sort of have to win cerebrally, and that's really fun for me to watch. So I've had a I've had a big blast watching uh, the Brian Johnson experience this year. I hope he uh, sticks around in a Sox uniform for years to come.
0: Yeah, Brian Johnson is personally one of my favorite players. Uh, Chris, what about you? Did you catch Friday's game? What were your thoughts on BJ start?
2: Um, I. Brian Johnson, to me. I, I like I like the fact that he's he's different. Uh, you know, like Dave said, he, he he's more of uh, kind of like a control type thing versus um, I'm just going to blow you away with 100 miles an hour, um, which is what we see so often now. Um, you know, it's, it's they're throwers, not pitchers. He's a pitcher, not a thrower, because uh, he just he's not he's not blessed with the, no, <laughs> the <is> 96 <laughs> mile an hour. Uh, unfortunately for him, I guess. I'd be crazy to see what he can do with that but <laughs> that would be nice to see. Um, but he, I always thought when they kept moving him back to the bullpen there was never to me there was never substance there to put him into the bullpen um just because he he he's he's a starter you he needs to be a starter that's where his value is if he's going to have any value. Um and he proved it every time he goes out he proved it again um on Friday.
0: Yeah. The thing about Brian Johnson is his splits between the bullpen and the rotation in his career, especially this year are insane. Like his ERA and the rotation is like, it's, it's incredible. And then in the bullpen, it's, it's just horrible. Like there's a, there's a period of time when we were podcasting and we were talking about if Brian Johnson needs to go. And now we're singing his praises for how he's overcome. Like he's, he's been a beast this year. So good for Brian Johnson. He's done very well. Out of the number five hole he's filled in for a lot of injuries and he's excelled whenever he's been called upon. So I I don't think Red Sox, uh, the Red Sox, can complain too much about what he's brought to the table. So, also in this game, this was the most exciting aspect. This was the best thing that happened. Jackie Bradley Jr. hit a double, and after, in the mid innings, so his OPS for a point in time was exactly 700. A little backstory here: I've been so JBJ has been getting a lot of hate, especially early on, for his lack of hitting. And I always took to his defense. I dug into some analytics. I wrote three articles defending Jackie Bradley Jr., saying he's getting really unlucky, Um, and things are starting to turn around for him. I don't know if people have been watching Jackie Bradley Jr. play the past two months, but he's starting to heat up. He's never going to be an elite hitter, but he's a good hitter, and he's showing it lately. His in his OPS was 700. I've been tweeting on the Red Sox and Filtered Twitter account. That there's a road to 700, and if he hits 700 by season's end, I would get a Jackie Bradley Jr. jersey. Now, I said it would actually have to be a 700 OPS um, when the season actually ended. So, like, if he goes back down, I will not be purchasing a jersey because that is very expensive. But I want him to get this mark. I want him to do this. I've been a big supporter of JBJ. He's been my guy all year. This may sound like I have some homerism, but the homerism is bred out of the analytics that are crying and begging to be looked at and showing that he's a damn good hitter. So JBJ, I was very excited to see that it got to seven hundred. That was a monumental moment. It was an arbitrary number of just a point. But it, it meant a lot to me personally. So JBJ, good for you. Um, so Chris, I know you. We've had some discussions about Jackie Bradley Jr. in the past. What are your thoughts on him now?
2: Um, still the same as they've always been. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I'd be see, I'd be okay if he consistently hit, you know, two forty five, two forty. 240. Like he hit two forty five in twenty seventeen. Um, if he hit and it sounds crazy to use something like batting average. Um, <laughs> but if, he, if he's a consistent hitter, I'm okay with Jackie Bradley Jr. Yeah. I'm over the moon about Jackie Bradley Jr. But the fact that he goes like, hits like 118 <laughs> for like two, three months, and then has crazy stretches, it's frustrating to me to watch. And, you know, I, I'm going to sound like a get off your lawn, kind of get off my lawn kind of person for a moment. But analytics, I, I like analytics, love analytics. But I always feel like analytics are used, but it, it, it's you, you got to look at the results at some point. And at some point, he can be as unlucky as possible. But at the same time, eventually he's going to have results if he's unlucky. But the guy's not going to say unlucky forever. So it doesn't it doesn't make much sense to say that he's just like like if you compare his um, I, I haven't looked at the analytics, and you can. Probably tell me Yeah, exactly. um, <laughs> More so But if you compare it To like his career arc Are all the analytical numbers Like the same As it is this year Like is he Is he more unlucky This year than he has Been in the past
0: Yes, he has been a lot more unlucky in the past. See, I, I know we've, I think some people view more like traditional statistics in terms of batting average. Um, I think batting average is a cool stat, but for me, when evaluating a player, especially on in terms of overall offensive contribution, because I mean, you're equating a single and a home run with the same worth in batting average, so it's hard to kind of get a consistent barometer. I use stats, I use analytics, um, like WRC+, plus, like OPS+, even just basic OPS is a pretty good um, in indicator of how a player's overall offensive contributions are so jbj this year he's been he was horrible the first two months and there is something to be said chris about how inconsistent he's been that's always been a problem but this year he's been extremely unlucky like his BABIP at one point was 230 his career BABIP is 293 so when you're hitting those balls in play and they're just not falling and like he's hitting them hard too like analytics especially with the advent of stack has data you can actually see how hard he's hitting on a ball on a regular basis and what his expected woba which is basically wrc plus it just kind of like Taking all these numbers and making it into what a, each uh, outcome—single, double, triple—is worth in terms of a run. So you can actually look at his expected WOBA and see what he's actually expected to do based on how hard he's at the ball and his strikeout and walk numbers. So that's pretty comprehensive, right there, because it's taking his quality of contact and it is—it is excluding the shift, which is a problem because he's been getting shift more and that's hurt into his numbers. But yeah, at one point, like the the. the the discrepancy was like negative 0.69 a couple weeks ago, and that was the second biggest um gap in the major leagues, and those tend to to really start to shorten up as the season goes on because I mean these are sample sizes and sample sizes always have outliers and they're not always reliable even if they're kind of big. JBJ this year, I'm not sure if he's hard hitting the ball harder, but he's starting to hit kind of like he did in 2016 in this stretch. Um again, JBJ's not a blowing anyone's mind on the offense, but he's an average hitter and with his defense to me, that's one of the more valuable players in the league. Um have I changed your mind at all, Chris, with these analytics? Uh, any any uh, rebuke? <laughs>
2: um, I, I like I said, I'm I'm fine with Jackie Bradley Jr. I I just wish he would be more consistent um, with like the actual traditional stats. Um, and uh, unfortunately, I I don't think he'll ever be. I think he's just a streaky guy. I think that's just who he is. I agree. Um, but I, I, this is an entirely different discussion as he gets more expensive in arbitration at some point you know you have to you have to say well is, is it is it worth the the cost kind of thing um, and that's obviously a different discussion different day kind of thing um, but I I just I, I like Jackie Bradley Jr. I just don't I don't see him as like a necessity on a team um, you know you can carry him because you, you're the rest of your offense is lighting the world on fire um, but if the offense wasn't lighting the world on fire it it was kind of like it would be in he would be in the crosshairs um because of how bad he's been all year up until
0: recently yeah and i would say that maybe his recent statistics are kind of washing out his poor results from the beginning of the season so it's kind of like coming back i mean like it's he got a cold streak now he's getting hot it's kind of canceling each other out a little bit and what you got is kind of a league average hitter and again, my argument, the league average hitter with, like, he's not like a Sandy Leone hitter. Sandy Leone sucks at hitting baseballs. I'm sorry. I love Sandy Leone. Um, JBJ is a better hitter. And JBJ is a better def- uh, catcher defense. It's hard to quantify. Sandy Leone seems to have some magic there. But JBJ, to me, is a very valuable player. And we did have that discussion about arbitration, which is interesting. But, Dave, I wanted to get your thoughts on JBJ. Um, on what day is it august nineteenth, 2018 what are what are your your revised thoughts on him
2: yeah
1: so i'm not sure how high you can be on a guy whose ops is literally half of that of rick porcello you know so obviously <laughs> he can be a worse fitter than the pitcher and rick porcello has a large enough sample size for me to make this a suspect t- to be fair
0: rick porcello has a better ops than jd martinez and Mookie bets I would like to. I would like. To yeah, that's that. what I'm saying. Yeah. We have a
1: terrible offense. I should. We we should be doing the Shohei Otani thing with them. <laughs> you know, DH four days, pitch the fifth. I but agree. In all seriousness, though, um, Jackie Bra- Jackie Bradley, um, I'm sort of a hybrid in between you guys. I do think he's been hilariously unlucky this year, but at the same point, going back to 2015, 2016, 2017, and even 2018, I'm with Chris on the fact that he is maddeningly streaky. Um, we like even earlier in this year, like April, he was unlucky. June, he was lucky. May, he could not hit anything. He was striking out like, like if you believe in the Jackie Bradley peaks and valleys, May would have been a valley regardless of how lucky or unlucky he <laughs> uh, yeah. he was, because he was striking out like just about every at bat. You throw him a fastball, he couldn't hit it. I think he had like a one fifty average on on off speed pitches, and his BABIP was pretty normalized in May. And if you look back at 2017, same thing happens. 2016, he had that crazy hit streak for like 26 games or something. Then the second half of the year, you got one of the Jackie Bradley Valleys. I mean, when you have a guy with a glove like that, I'm cool with peaks and valleys. That's fine with me, especially when you have the best offense in the league and you're asking Jackie Bradley to be the eighth or ninth best hitter on the team. I'm happy with that guy, but I don't think... um, like I don't think you can just watch this whole season is just, oh, he's unlucky. Like he ha- he has had his peaks, he has had his valleys. We're in a good stretch now, but it's really only a matter of time with a guy like Jackie until you hit the bad part again. I don't think he's ever going to consistently be like a two fifty hitter. I think he's always gonna be one month one sixty, one month three fifty, and then it levels out to a two fifty, something like that. So I think that's that's what Jackie Bradley is for me.
0: I do think that there's some value to consistency. Um I don't know how you can quantify it. There're probably people who are smarter than me that are trying to quantify it or maybe they already have. But Overall, JBJ actually is still getting unlucky. Um, he's still got a really large gap between his ex-WOBA and WOBA. His hard hit rate is one of the better. Uh, it's like around league average. He's barreling baseballs at a good rate. So I st- And his BABIP is still like two seventy two, the high 260s. So he's still got some room for some of these balls to fall in and start to get that WRC plus closer to 100 and that OPS into the 750 range. Get excited.
2: He's going gonna... to... He's not that. Interrupted, but he's no. getting to definitively if if his Babbitt like levels off to um, I think you said it was like two ninety three. Is that what you said? Yeah. That's his career, um, yeah. If it levels that. off, you would assume that he's going to have something close to his twenty seventeen year. Mm-hmm. And if that's Jackie Bradley Jr., I'm good with it. But I would Me rather too. see. I, I want to see more consistency. Is really what it is. And that's, yeah. Yeah, I, I can't change
0: that unfortunately. No, no, no one can change that. And I don't think tw- I think 2016 was a mirage. Speaking of mirages, I think that was a mirage. I don't think he'll hit like that again. 2017, though, I think that's a reasonable baseline to expect, like a round league average hitter and you know goal Glove defense. When the dude is like getting praise from Kevin Kiermeyer, who's you know a really good defender himself on Twitter for robbing his teammate, that's how you know he's good at defense. And JBJ is good at defense and base running. That's an underrated component of baseball so we're we're going to end our jbj discussion now thank you for having that with me that was that was uh fun and we're going to move on to xander bogarts so the x Men in this friday game he went three for four with three extra base hits two doubles and a triple there he is a 4.0 f4 131 wrc plus on the season dave is this xander bogart's best year of his career in your mind
1: oh absolutely and i don't think it's anywhere close i mean You expect a guy to keep getting better as he gets older. I think, what is he, 25, 26 right now? Yeah. Which is crazy since he was on the 2013 World Series team. But, you know, he's a young player. He's always, this guy's always been his limit. And a lot of his natural improvement this year is just from him getting older and getting healthier from last year. Because after he, he, as we all remember, he had that wrist injury uh, early in July of 2017, and he was never himself after that. He didn't. He stayed healthy this year, and that's a big part of his increased production. But I also think he's taking a new approach at the plate, which um, I credit a lot of that to manager Alex Cora. Um, back in uh, Farrell's regime and uh, Chili Davis, the hitting coach, they uh, tried to turn Bogarts into more of a hitting for average guy, not a hitting for power guy. Um, they didn't believe that really Xander could be a home run hitting guy. They didn't think uh, there was much point in having him swing for the fences every time because he just hit, you know, flyouts. Like all the time they wanted him to be, you know, aim for contact, aim for singles, and there's value to that. Like a guy like Brock Holt should be hitting like that. But with Alex Corey, he's really preached the launch angle. He's preached, um, if Xander needs to sacrifice a few points of his batting average to get a little more power, a few more doubles and homers, then do it. And he's been doing it this year. And that's why he's been having one of the best seasons of his career, the best offensively. So, I mean, it's really been great to see because he's not Mookie Betts, but the fact that Xander Bogarts is also one of your chief core players, he's going to be a big part of, this team's success in the postseason if they're going to make a deep postseason run they're going
2: to need Xander
0: it's insane to me that Xander Bogarts is the number three or number four best position player on the Red Sox team that just speaks volumes to how good the Red Sox lineup is and their position players specifically because Bogarts would be a star on a lot of teams he'd be one of the better players on a lot of teams in terms of his improvement this year like you said he's he's getting more power Core is kind of he's doing the launch angle thing, which is good. People are doing that now. More power equals more production. But he's also swinging at better pitches. Um, Alex Cora came in and started preaching the aggressive approach. He has like one of the biggest Z swing, which is zone percentages of pitches uh, swung at in the strike zone. And if you're a hitter, you want to swing at strikes. Those are good pitches to hit. Bogarts, I think, has the biggest increase uh, or close to it on the team this year. So that's another reason why he's doing so well. Um, In terms of if it's his best year ever, His base running's actually not been great this year. I'm also big on base running. I know I'm really into defense, too. But base running's like this hidden nugget. Bogart's is having his worst base running year. Like, he's, in the past, he's been like having like really good stolen base to caught caught stealing ratios. This year, not so much. He has not attempted as many, but he has been caught out almost as much. And his BSR, last year, I think he was top five in BSR, which is the base running component that goes into war. Uh, He was, like, top five. And this year he has a negative BSR so there's something weird going on there don't know if that's a lot of noise or what it is but that's kind of interesting but yeah Bogart's Bogart's having his best year of his career I don't I don't care what BSR says uh Chris what about you is this is this x-man's best year of his career
2: um I mean there's still kind of a bit of a wait and see um but I manager John as David Price would say um I think he he Really botched um, Bogarts because, like Dave said, they, they almost saw him as an average guy, and that doesn't make any sense because I think coming up in the minors he ha- he had the power, um, so why why are we getting away from something that could be a strength of the guy? And um, you can definitely see that, and um, I think it is it might be the best the best of his career.
0: Yeah, it's definitely still a way to see. We got a month and some change left of baseball to play, so it's not written in stone, but. The offensive numbers look better than they've ever been for Bogart, so that is certainly exciting. Um, The only other thing in this game that was of note was Blake Swihart. He was doing catching duties through an absolute darked to second base so it was to get Ian Kinsler I oh don't know it was to Ian Kinsler not to get Ian Kinsler I think it was I don't know who he threw out but it was literally a strike he let him perfectly so it got me looking into some Blake Swihart um, stat cast numbers for his um, throwing to bases um, he has the fourth best pop time among all catchers this season to second base. So his 1.8 average time to second um, is tied with heralded catcher JT Ramuto, who's really good at throwing runners out. That's an elite score. For reference, Sandy Leone ranks 20th, 1.98 seconds. And Christian Vasquez, who was really good at this last year, he ranks 89th of like 90 hundred people, um, 2.10 seconds Um Christian Vasquez, what the hell, man. But, yeah, uh, Blake Swihart has really – he didn't have a great game today. He went over 3 but it's one game, so who cares. Sandy Leone has been you know – he's got the intangibles. He's got the defensive aptitude. Blake Swihart has the most – he's probably the best offensive catcher, and he's got the most potential. And then you have Christian Vasquez, who was the stalwart for the Red Sox last year. He was their best catcher. So this brought – This prompted me to ask a question on Twitter, Red Sox Unfiltered. You can follow us at Unfiltered. And it was, who has been the Red Sox, who is the best Red Sox catcher right now? And I think two-thirds voted Sandy Leone, 25% voted Blake Swihart, and then only around 10% voted Christian Vasquez. I could see a case for either three. We got like 150 responses, a lot of good voting, so that's a pretty good sample. Um, Dave, who is the best catcher for the Boston Red Sox in your mind?
1: Well, my heart is always going to say the greatest catcher of all time, maybe the greatest player of all time, Sandy Leone. But my brain is going to say Blake Slyhart just because Slyhart's a really good hitter. He brings something offensively but the other two don't. As you mentioned, he has an absolute cannon for an arm, gets the ball out really fast. And his the old problem with him was is he'd throw it down, but you know, God only knew where it was actually going to go. He's been throwing it a lot more accurately, making really good strikes. I know today he uh, had a steal attempt where he was a little offline, but still it was, it was a really hard throw. He gets it out fast. That's all great. Defensively, he's really improved to me. Just from the eye test, he doesn't have as many pass falls. Anytime there's a pitch in the dirt, it's not like you just close your eyes and pray something happens like it was in 2015 and 2016. But um, you know, he really does seem to be an improved player, and I think he's our best catcher. The one thing going against him, though, is, and I'm being very genuine when I say this, he is not Sandy Leone. Sandy just calls such a fantastic game. You can ask any one of the any one of the Red Sox pitchers, and they will tell you that Sandy Leon just really gets what the pitchers want to throw, what the best pitch is in every single scenario, in a way that Boyk Slyhart or really any catcher that we we have can't. I think it was Rick Porcello who um, actually said Sandy is the smartest catcher and the best catcher he's ever worked with, and it's not even close. So there's just something about Sandy where, like, he needs to get his, he needs to get his games behind the plate just because he really understands the pitching staff, and he really just brings out the best in them. I know like it's sort of an overlooked or kind of over-critiqued thing where, uh, you know, who cares who the catcher is? It's the pitcher throwing the ball. But for a guy like Sandy, it really makes a difference for him.
0: Uh yeah, I think Sandy Leone um is got those intangibles which are very hard to quantify. Um, Chris, what about who do you think is the best Red Sox catcher?
2: Uh, I'm gonna tell you, Christian Vasquez. I'm all set. I, I that dude. I, I watched like he almost he almost regressed. He went. He was good. And then all of a sudden he's just like, you know what? I got my, I got a contract. I'm done. Um, <laughs> especially <laughs> with that play earlier this year where he like used his his mask to pick up the ball or oh, yeah. ball closer to him. That's such a oh, fun yeah. play. How, I, I, was, I was like ready to throw something at the TV when I saw that. I was like, that's such a, like, how do you not know? Or how do you, what are you doing? Where's your brain? <laughs> um, so I'm out on him. So he's three. I'm going to call him three.
0: Yeah, he's um,
2: three. so I think for, I think for between Sandy Leone and Blake Swihart, it depends on what you want. Um, so I don't think I don't think either of them. I, I don't think Blake Swihart going to kill you behind the plate. Um, he's not going to be as good as Sandy Leone is calling a game and everything. Um, but I, it, like intangibles and all that. But I, I think there's something to it to have the bat there, um, especially especially if you have other black holes. Um, but as far as this red sox team goes though uh sandy leone's the better catcher
0: i think that that's a popular opinion dave said it too a lot of our fans said it i have a hard time saying sandy leone is the red sox best catcher just because he's so bad offensively but again the guy has something behind the play. he's got a little magic he's got the chemistry he knows how to call a game which is not something that shows up in my sabermetric gospel so i don't know who is the better catcher? And I think it's between Sandy Leon and Blake Swihart. I really like the potential that Swihart has. I think his bat is definitely the best, most advanced. Christian Vasquez, I don't. You you covered it perfectly, Chris. I the dude is uh, the dude is he this he's like okay. So the Red Sox have had a really good year. Drew Palmers and Christian Vasquez have been like the only people I've been consistently frustrated with in 2018. Um, but I'm gonna say Cindy Leon with you guys, just because it seems popular, and all the pitchers seem to really get behind the fact that he is invaluable behind the dish. His play calling is invaluable to the team, um, and, and a team that's struggled with um, oh, yeah. in the playoffs with pitching, you need that guy there. You do. Um, so, so they need they
2: need him more than they need Swihart's bat in yeah. the playoffs. Yeah, and going forward.
0: Yeah, definitely. And the thing is, Swihart hasn't hit enough yet, where it's like you can kind of say, and uh, point to some numbers and say, "Oh, Swihart's just so much of a better hitter." Um, we know that he has the potential there, but it hasn't actually showed up in the results. Like even the underlying statistics aren't like they're not blow your head off or anything. So I'm gonna say Sandy Leone, and I'm gonna you know three strong. That's a yes for all of us. Sandy Leone, you are the best Red Sox catcher. Good for you, buddy. Um so Chris Sale Red Sox catcher of all
1: time. Let's clarify that. Yeah,
0: let's let's clarify that. Carlton Fisk, get the hell out. Jason Veritex, don't don't even think about it. Um he's Sandy Leon is the only active Hall of Famer. Um that's a little bar stool um section ten podcast thing. Um but Chris Sale was placed on the ten day disabled list with left shoulder inflammation. This sucked. Uh, Brandon Workman called up in his place. Dave, that probably didn't suck for you. I know you are a supporter of Brandon Workman, so that's nice. But I want to ask you, Dave, uh, how serious is this with Chris Sale?
1: Um, well, it obviously does suck. I'm happy to have Workman back, but at what cost? I mean, I'm the Horrible. biggest Workman, fa- Workman fan out there, but I'd let him spend the rest of his life in AAA if it meant we got to keep a healthy sale. But, um, yeah, obviously it's not ideal, but There's a bunch of reasons to think that this is going to be okay in the long run. For one, Sale, Cora and the whole training staff have said, like, you know, it's it's not as bad as it was last time. And um, they they didn't directly come out and say it, but they highly implied that if this division race were closer, Sale would not be sitting out right now. But we have a a nine-and-a-half game lead on the Yankees. We don't need Sale for three starts or whatever he's going to end up missing. And the next three he was supposed to start today – He's going to start his next game against the Rays, and then number three, I think, is against the White Sox. You know, the Rays are about five hundred, and the White Sox are trash. So you really, d- I don't want to waste Chris Sale if he's not one hundred percent against teams that we should be able to beat without yeah. him. Like I know we lost today when it would have been Sale Day, but the but Velasquez only gave up one run in five innings, and the Bull- and we only gave up two runs as a team. The reason we lost that game is because we scored zero runs. We lose that game regardless of who starts.
0: Or Jalen Beaks. So,
1: I mean, I'm... Jalen Beaks. Yeah, so I'm... I'm okay with uh, not having sale there. With uh, having sale, rested, and ready for the playoffs.
0: Yeah. Yeah, me too. Me too. I I think it was more precautionary than anything. Uh, Chris, what were your thoughts? How serious was it? Or in your mind is?
2: Uh, Well, this team needs the conductor in October and down the stretch in September. They don't need him right now. Um, so I'm, I'm more in the, the camp of it's probably precautionary. Hey, we may as well rest in this track record. He's god awful come, not god awful. I can't say god awful. He's not god awful. Uh, but he takes, a, he takes a step backwards, um, in August, September, and last year we saw that in October. Um, so if this team wants to go anywhere, they need him to be healthy and ready to go. So I, you know, like Dave said, and like has been said, if this division were closer, he'd be pitching. But he doesn't need to be pitching against the Tampa Bay Rays and the White Sox and the dregs of the league. Um, so I think I think it's the right move to say let's let's be pre- precautionous. Let's let's, be, let's ha- take the precaution now and not regret it later.
0: Agreed. Um, I'm not a doctor. I don't know these things, Chris Sale. Um, it seems like that they're not. Too concerned about it. I don't know. I'm bad at reading people. But hopefully, Chris Sale's fine. And this is just precautionary because, you know, the Red Sox really don't need him right now. They have a cushion, a 10 game lead in the American League East. Um, eh, is a nine and a half now. Yankees win today. I don't. I, I didn't watch. Um, it's nine and a half, ten. But yeah, they they're in a pretty good spot, so they don't need Chris Sale right now. And if he's not a hundred percent, I think disabled list is is the path of uh, least resistance and the path that will ultimately be more logical going forward because Cora's conservation strategy has worked wonders this year. So now we're moving on to Saturday. We we literally just covered Friday. That that was one game we just talked about. Um, moving to Saturday, uh, the Red Sox won five to two. David Price, he went seven innings of two earned run ball, eight strikeouts and two walks. So he faced some early adversity. The first play was a Xander Bogart's uh, error, or was it on Mitch Moreland? It was kind of bounced. Moreland couldn't corral it and they they got on base and then it was followed by a weak, weak ground ball that was just found a hole. So they had first and second, no outs. It did not look promising from the start, but David Price finessed himself out of the situation, was a little too weak weak fly balls and then some uh... strikeout action and price pitched wonderfully against his old team it was great to see Tyler glass now this isn't red sox but he went in the uh... chris archer trade and he's he's interest he's very interesting to me because he has such great stuff a lot of strikeout potential but he's struggled with some command and it seems to be really mental and mechanical but he had three straight walks in the first inning. he was literally a pitch away from walking brock holt making it four in a row and he looked like he would have been yanked if that were the case brock Holt swung instead and then glass came out and he went six point six and two-thirds innings and it was okay so good for tyler glass now i know you know again not a red sox guy but uh... he's an interesting prospect and i'm personally rooting for him jay martinez number thirty eight hit a long ball center field off tyler glass now um, good for him. And Craig Kimbrell had an unblemished save, which is really rare these days. It's been a rough stretch for Kimbrell. He's been, uh, when he has gotten the save, he still has faced a lot of trouble in his innings. This one was just straight, easy. Good for him. Same thing with Ryan Brazier. Brazier pitched the eighth. Brazier has a 1.00 ERA, um, at least before. I don't know if he pitched on today, on Sunday, but he on Saturday, he had a 1 ERA. So brazier good for you man um so now moving to sunday uh the rays took it 2-0 the red sox could not complete the sweep Jalen beaks gets revenge on his former team four innings one hit zero earned run three strikeout and two walks didn't start the game um but he came in the second inning and he yeah that was kind of a a big slap in the face, I guess. Uh, Dave, what were your thoughts on Jalen Beeks' performance today? Because he's he's relevant because he was a Red Sox prospect. Yeah,
1: so so yeah. Um, I actually, you know, I saw him come in, and I remembered the Jalen Beeks of the Red Sox, where like he there's going to be some something there someday, but he's not quite ready for it yet. So I thought, okay, well, the offense has been a little a little slow. We can probably put up two or three on Beeks, but no, he was just lights out, and you could kind of just tell from something about his posture, his poise, he just seemed a lot more comfortable, a lot more in command of the situation. I think his first few times up with us, he um, he had a bit of nerves going against the best of the best, but he's clearly adjusted and I actually looked up his stats um, and uh, he's he's um, been fantastic basically the whole month of August um, as a, a reliever for him, so I don't think he keeps being as good as he's being, but you know it really looks like he's a good one fortunately of all these good too, so it's not like we gave him up for nothing but you know I'm impressed by Beaks good for him
0: yeah I didn't again I didn't catch it but I, I was impressed when I myself the scoreline Jalen Beeks seems like a interesting prospect um, so we'll see how his career goes. I'm rooting for him he was a red sock at one point or a Paw sock he was both uh, Chris, what were your thoughts on Jalen Beaks do you have any uh, strong opinions there?
2: I, 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 don't really have a strong opinion. Um, my, my, my only strong opinion is what, what he looks like. And that's just kind of what I first noticed about a guy. <laughs> I, I just like, I don't like his face. That's, that's <laughs> entirely shallow and all that. Um, but, uh, other than that, I mean, I don't have much of an opinion, but I do, the, the Tampa Bay Rays, I can tell you they, for some reason, have the ability to take a guy that, Everybody's like "Oh, this guy' is terrible or he might not be anything, and they can actually make him into something um I, I don't know they're just like pitching whispers over there um and that's that's I think he's in the right place if he's gonna go anywhere, he's in the right place
0: yeah, the, they are pitching whisperers over there, and honestly, Kevin Cash, who's sitting there across from Alex Cora, two great. AL manager of manager of the year candidates right there, along with Oakland Athletics Bob Melvin. Uh, yeah, I don't have, I didn't catch the game, so I'm not going to comment any further. Um, so, Dave, I don't know if you remember this, but you, Jordan, and I had a, we ran a poll on Twitter on Red Sox Unfiltered a long time ago, maybe episode five, six, seven, whatever, um, and it was, we knew Betts and Martinez were going to hit, you know, first and second in home runs. They were going to hit a lot of them, and they have. Um, but I wanted to revisit that. I wanted to find out who do you think will finish third in the, in home runs besides Betts and Martinez. Um, I picked Mitch Moreland originally, um, Jordan picked Mitch Moreland originally, and you picked Raphael Devers. So, whoops, whoops, no, you are in second right now. Devers has 16. I know he's on the DL, so he's kind of going to be, uh going to have a little disadvantage here x-man has 17 benny has 15 moreland has 14 gulp and jbj has 11 there's your dark horse candidate um uh it's not gonna be Jet. i know it's not gonna be Jack. a man can dream um but yeah so who do you think's gonna finish third on the red sox and home runs dave do you have a are you changing your answer
1: I am changing my answers. Raphael Devers, I love you, and next year you're probably going to be third, but this year, get, give me X. I think it's going to be Bogarts. I think um, he's going to keep it going. The wrist injury, when he got hit a few weeks back, I was terrified, but it really looks like he's still producing, so I don't think the wrist is anything to really worry about. So I think Bogarts is going to hold down third by the end of the year, but it, I'm going back and forth between him and Ben Intendi. It's those two for me, but probably Xander Bogarts' final answer.
0: Yeah, Benintendi and Bogarts are very similar to me. Um, I don't know who I want to choose because they are both awesome offensive players. i like... Even a really good question would be who's the better offensive player, Zander Bogarts or Andrew Benintendi, and I don't know. I'm just going to roll up in a ball and cry if I had to answer that, but I posed the question. Um yeah, I'm gonna go X man and I think Benatetti will finish second. Devers still obviously has probably a lot of power, but we don't he'll he'll miss some time. Moreland, I Moreland doesn't even play any every day anymore and JBJ, watch out for him. Uh Chris, who's gonna finish third in home runs for the Red Sox this year? Uh,
2: it's definitively going to be Xander Bogart. Um Mostly because I saw a stat on Twitter about Andrew Benintendi, and it's been since like was it like June June something since he's had a home run at home.
0: Mm. I think it was
2: June. It was either it June or July? And that's kind of like one of those things where you're like, whoa, it makes you stop for a second. Um, and I, I think I think that's concerning. Um, and I think Xander Bogaerts is just going to kind of chug along up to twenty twenty two home runs or so.
0: So I think he's going to end up being third. Yeah, I think so. Then we're all unanimous here. We are all united. Just like we said, Sandy Leon was the best Red Sox catcher. We are saying Xander Bogarts will have the third most home runs on the Red Sox. I think he has the most power um, of those guys. True power. Ah, uh, no, Devers, but then Bogarts. Um, Eduardo Nunez, he's been resurging lately. Dave wrote an article on Red Sox If you have not already, please check that out. It's a good piece of work. Dave, you did awesome. But, uh,. We're going to talk about his resurgence. So the first half he had a 70 WRC plus. Second half he has 85 WRC plus. So it's been a little better. What is your th- What are your thoughts on Eduardo Nunez, Dave? Going forward.
1: So unfortunate. So unfortunately, I think my thoughts is that Nunez getting very lucky with uh, what's happening earlier in the year. There are signs that he is actually improving, but most of this, I hate to say it, but I think a lot of it's luck. Earlier in the year, he had a Pretty low BABIP; it was like two eighty or something, I think. And since June twenty, uh, July twenty seventh, when his stats really picked up, his BABIPs like three forty, which is responsible for a decent uh, increase in his production. When you look at the type of contact he's making, there hasn't been too much of a change. Earlier in the season, he was hitting uh, roughly fifty percent of ground of uh, ground balls. He's still doing that. His heart. Uh, contact percentage this is all per fan graphs by the way but his hard contact percentage was 22 percent now it's 20 so that's actually gone a bit worse his medium contact percentage is up a sizable amount but when you're not when you're uh still when you're still making the exact same type of contact and when that type of contact is ground falls and when your bandwidth is as high as it is you're pretty much due to go back to earth um he did improve his strikeout rate a little bit. That's down 3.8%, which is a good thing, but it's not drastic enough to explain his recent production. But one thing I think that will help him uh, improve over the year is that doesn't show up on the stat sheet is his knee injury. So as we all remember, back in the ALDS last year, Nunez really messed up his knee. I think it was the second game of the series. He went down in his first bat, and he was just, like you could tell, it was ugly, it was painful. And then when we re-signed him in, in spring training, I remember him saying, like, when I suffered that knee injury, I didn't know if I could play again. And then I thought to myself, well, Eddie, that was six months ago, and you're playing now. How did you recover that fast? And the answer to that is he really didn't. So the whole first half of the year, you could really see him, like, limping around. Like, he, he had no range. He had no speed. And he was just a liability, basically, wherever he was in the field. But now as you watch him and... I haven't used too many advanced analytics for this because I feel like a sample size this small is really, it's basically inval- invalid, but he looks a lot faster, he runs a lot cleaner, so obviously if you're healthy, you're going to start performing better, so I do think Nunez is going to continue to be better than he was earlier in the year, but I think this really good Nunez is due to
2: come back to Earth a little bit.
0: I agree with everything what you said. You broke it down beautifully on the site. I think Nunez has been the recipient of a lot of bad at ball luck lately. I mean, not really that much, because he's not been considerably better in the second half. Um, He's just not having a great year, and I think a lot of that is attributed to the fact that he is so banged up. And he, yeah, like what you said, like he didn't think he was going to play after that injury, and here he is. Um, Everything he does looks painful. Like, when he's running the bases, it looks like he's in pain. The dude is so tough, though, because he never comes out. He always works through it. But I swear, every single game he comes up and he looks like he's in excruciating agony. So I give him all the credit in the world for fighting through that and but I also think it's been a big reason why he's been this 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 season like he's not been great like what we thought he was going to be last I mean last year obviously he wasn't going to have a 900 OPS forever but the past 3 4 years he kind of set a baseline is an above average hitter lost that this year considerably uh Chris Chris what are your opinions on Eduardo Nunez I've been waiting
2: for the uh the DL stint all here, and, and it hasn't Has come. not happened. Every time there's like a roster crunch, I'm like, oh, they're just gonna put him on the DL, and that doesn't happen. Because the beginning of the year, he was just bad at baseball. Like, I was like, can this guy, can this guy even play baseball anymore? <laughs> so that's what it felt <laughs> like, anyways. It was like deep, dude. Um, But but now he's gone from bad at baseball to being marginally okay at baseball, and I can live with it. Um, I mean, like Dave said, he, he's got a lot of his deaths or he, he's going to come back down to earth. Um, but I'm okay with it, uh, mostly because you figure if if um, Devers is good to go, Kinsler is good to go, he doesn't see much. He doesn't see much playing time, and generally with utility guys, less is more. Uh, we see that with Holt, and I kind of think Nunez falls into that as
0: well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely, Nunez. Uh, Nunez has been an interesting season. Um, I hope. I don't know if he'll ever play baseball again after this year. Obviously, that's kind of a hot take. I have no knowledge on what his future plans are. But, man, again, I can't get over um, how injured he just appears all the time. But he's uh, he's been kind of doing better lately, which is a very welcome sight. He still has some power potential there. Um, so the last topic we want to talk about here is Eduardo Rodriguez. He will be having a rehab assignment, and you'll may be making a start for the Portland Sea Dogs on Monday. And Dave will be attending. Dave, talk to me about this.
1: All right, so one of the best things about living in Maine, at least for me, well, Maine's awesome. Everything about Maine is awesome. So you know, visit Maine, yay. But one of my favorite things about Maine is having the Portland Sea Dogs right there. And they're sending Eddie, Eddie Rodriguez up for a rehab start, and you better believe that I'm getting tickets to it. So I've already pre-ordered. I'm going to be uh, – I've got pretty good seats. It's sold out more than it normally does because, you know, Eddie Rodriguez. Eddie. But um, so from what I've heard, from what Alex Kors said, is that they're hoping to get Eddie four innings of ball today, uh, tomorrow. Um, hopefully he performs pretty well, obviously. But I think that um, – they probably won't activate him until September because, again, roster crunch. You don't want to make a move if you don't have to. The corps has said that uh, Eddie Rodriguez is going to be a starter the rest of the way. They're not going to, like, just throw him in the bullpen because, hey, you know, we already have four starters in the postseason's right around the corner. They're going to give him a chance to earn that starting spot, uh, to earn the fourth starting spot back. Obviously, Brian Johnson goes back to the bullpen. And then, to me, it looks like it's a crunch between Eddie Rodriguez and Nathan Ivaldi for the fourth spot in the rotation. Because, you know, Sale, obviously, he's going to start. Porcello and Price, they've been having great years. Eddie has a higher ceiling than Evaldi, but Evaldi is a good starter in his own right, and you don't know how much you're going to get out of Eddie. One thing I will note, though, is um, I actually saw Eddie make a rehab start in Portland last year, and he does have a history of needing a few to get ready last year. He pitched, I think it was two innings. He gave up five or six runs. I just remember it being ugly. And normally you don't look at the stats too much for rehab starts. But, you know, when they're that bad, it's just heinous. You need more. You need more than that. Um, And, you know, Eddie, in the past, I'm thinking 2016-ish, I want to say. Yeah, it was 2016. Eddie had um, a knee injury in the spring training. He was supposed to be uh, one of the top guys in the rotation that year. He had a knee injury. He spent a few uh, spot starts in Pawtucket before coming back up, and he got shelled for six starts straight. He had an ERA in the nines. He got sent down for three weeks. He got time to heal that knee back. Then he came back up Was the same guy. So it's really important with Eddie to make sure he's healthy, make sure he's 100%. You don't need to rush it. So just I hope whatever they do with Eddie, if he pitches four shutout innings tomorrow, great, bring him back. But don't rush it if you don't have to.
0: Yeah, obviously, a lot of this depends on how healthy he is and how he looks, but it's going to be interesting to what his actual role will be going forward. But there's, again, there's no rush right now. Like, they don't per se need him. They're in a very good position, just like Devers, and if he's not, or Chris Sale, if they're not 100% that they can afford to have them uh, get. Get these starts and get you know more rest, more reps, and hopefully be more ready when the postseason rolls around. So yeah, uh, Chris, do, what role do you envision Eduardo Rodriguez playing this postseason?
2: Uh, he's definitely going to be a starter. I, I don't feel like I don't feel like he can come out of the bullpen. I, like I said, with with Ivaldi, um, I, I felt like it was he he was acquired because they wanted depth. So say say somebody gets hurt um, of the four that you would think you know Chris Allen David Price Rick Porcello and Eduardo Rodriguez so one of them's not good to go um, then you have Evaldi you can step in but this, you don't want him in the bullpen you want you want evolved in the bullpen you want Rodriguez starting um, I, I kind of get fearful that he's going to turn into Clay Buckholz 2.0 <laughs> um, he's he kind of like trending that way it's weird he gets on a good run uh, and then he gets hurt um, I don't know if it's, if it's mental hurt or actual hurt. I can't speak to that. Obviously, I'm not him. Um, but it's amazing. I, I pulled up his stats because so I was curious. It's amazing how consistent he's been over the past, uh, since he, since 2015. He's like, he's like the same guy every single year, somewhere in the realm of like yeah. 121 innings pitched. He's got 121, 100, 107, 137, and then 104 right now. So he's, consistent with the innings pitched and all the rest of the stats across the board are all very similar um so at least he's consistent and um not like all over the place which is kind
0: of nice to see yeah you know what you're going to get from erod um especially over the past four years he's been very consistent in his craft i think he's gotten a little better though over the past few seasons he's striking out more guys um so i've been it's been like a really gradual and subtle improvement, but with Erod, e- but I think it's there again. The it going deep into the games has always been the question. Um, if I, I think that Eduardo Rodriguez obviously just going to depend on health. So we'll, we'll see how that actually unfolds going forward. Um, the fourth starter in the postseason, they may they're not going to get into the games as much as the top three. The top three are more important, and the Red Sox have those top three cemented almost already. And I don't know, maybe Core will be unconventional, and then maybe Stacky of old. And Rodriguez one game and just like have one pitch the first three four innings and then have the other pitch the next three four innings that would be interesting that would be something I'd get behind but that's actually going to do it for our topics for this episode of the Red Sox and Filter Podcast number twenty the big two O uh, Dave do you have any departing thoughts for the fans? Um yeah I
1: just got one more on the Edu- Eduardo Rodriguez note. Before I want to it. add to what Chris said a little bit um obviously like if Eddie's like 100 percent healthy ready to go I'd keep him in the postseason my biggest thing is just if there's even the slightest chance that he's not I wouldn't want to like exert him any more than he can because you've shown in the past if you try to milk too much out of Eddie bad things happen at least you know what you have in uh Evaldi. and if that's your fourth starter in the postseason you're pretty good but um yeah so don't try to milk too much out of Eddie and I think um A lot of, like we talked about Clay Buckholz 2.0, which God, no. But I think a lot of people, since Eddie's been around so long, they forget this kid is just 25 years old. He's not even near the prime of his career right now. He has a lot of time to still get better. And the fact that he is where he is in his development really speaks to how good he could be someday. Like He's not supposed to, like he should be a first or second year pro, not like in his fourth year right now. So I'm giving Eddie like a lot more time to still prove what he can, Dave.
0: Yeah, uh, good, good departing thought there, Dave. Uh, Chris, what about you? Do you have any departing thoughts for the listeners?
2: Uh, yeah, um, my my departing thought is, I am curious to see what happens with Mitch Moreland. He's been, you know, steadily going the wrong direction. Um, so I'm I'm curious to see how much playing time he loses to uh, Steve Pierce. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to end up in a strict platoon. Uh, not really sure, but it's it, it's interesting to, to see that he's been declining and it's something definitely to watch.
0: Yeah, definitely something to watch going forward. Steve Pierce hasn't been in the lineup lately. That's been kind of weird for me because I think Pierce has kind of earned more starts. We've talked about this on, a, I think, episode 18 but yeah that that'll be interesting to watch going forward my departing thought is i think both of you have respectively taken a jab at clay buckles and i would like to point out that clay buckles is doing pretty well for the arizona diamondbacks so good for clay buckles that was not expected um wish him well in arizona he's
2: gonna get hurt <laughs> <I know. laughs> no, no, a, <laughs> fans, he'll
1: get hurt no a, no this is actually the most clay buckles thing that can possibly happen here's what's going to happen he's on a one-year deal He's, he's going to play his mind off like he's been playing. He's going to have a good postseason run. The Diamondbacks probably won't win at all just because they're the Diamondbacks. But they're going to get everyone convinced that Clay Buchholz finally figured out he's the savior. He's going to get big money and then he's going to get hurt because that's, that's what Clay Buchholz do.
0: Now, what Clay Buckles is going to do is he's going to prove everyone wrong. They're going to forego using Patrick Corbin or Zach Reinke in the wild card elimination, the one game elimination game. They're going to get Clay Buckles in there, and he's going to throw, uh, he's going to throw like a no hitter, complete game shutout, whatever. He's going to throw like one of the best wild card games ever, and we're going to be, we're going to be reeling in, uh, Clay Buckles highlights for the rest of our life. So, I'm, I'm running for Buckles. I, I was a fan for a while. Obviously, he was maddening, but, Right. <laughs> Yeah, so that is actually going to do it for episode 20 of the Red Sox and Filtered podcast. You can listen to us on various platforms, such as SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Also, you can look us up um, through The Grueling Truth, which is one of our partners' affiliates. Uh, they feature a lot of our content on their site, and they will have they will produce this podcast or put this podcast up on a lot of those mediums that I just listed. So look out for that. Um, yeah, go Red Sox. we got the Indians next, and as always, we'll see you next week